Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Welcome to the pod. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> Shut up. We made it. <laughs> we had a hard time starting recording today. There were some technical difficulties happening. Yeah. It was a little bit difficult. Yeah. But I... we made it. Look at us. <laughs> we made it. And you know what? What if we had fun? What if we had fun? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am a little more patient than you when it comes to tech things. That's am true. I not? Very true. But there not is today. a limit. It was not today. Hey, and you know what? That's the name of the show. Not today, baby. <laughs> but, um... TM. I'll leave. Yeah. We'll leave. See yourself out. Our Patreon episode just dropped. That's very true. That's, like, pretty much the only bit of podcast news we have before we have to jump into the episode. Uh, bonus episode number four on our Patreon just came out this week. So if you're interested in hearing some bonus content, check it out. Should I say what it's about? No, I mean we're we're gonna put out a promo for it later this week. Yeah, so check that out. So, and if it interests you, subscribe. But really, just subscribe anyway because because you love us. Oh my yes, kisses. Anyway, should we jump into this week's episode? Yeah, what's it about? Let's do it. It's we got a biggin, if you will. Okay. Um, we're gonna be talking about Eduardo and Jane Valseca. Okay. Okay. So. In 1992, 25-year-old Jane Rager met Eduardo Valseca at the Sutton Place Gourmet, which was a gourmet supermarket in Bethesda, Maryland, right after she had returned home from a trip to Europe. She was there that day to use the public phone at the entrance of the market, and Eduardo and his older son from a previous marriage were in the shop buying some chocolates. Jane had parked her car and she was running up to the store to use the phone, but as she was running up, Eduardo was coming out of the store. And it was closing time for the store, and the manager had locked the doors right behind Eduardo and his son, and he saw Jane running up, you know, to the store. He thought that she was trying to make it in before close, but he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, they just closed the store. And she told him not to worry that she was only there to use the payphone. And so after that, the two exchanged glances, and he and his son went to went to their car to leave. However, he turned the car around, and the two struck up a conversation before exchanging business cards to keep in touch. Business cards, so right. it was a bit of a meet-cute at the grocery store. <laughs> Wait, so he turned the car around and had he a conversation li- from his car? No, he got out of the car. He literally, so she saw him driving out of the parking lot like they made eye contact as he was driving out of the lot and she was on the phone and then he literally turned the car around parked again and came out and talked to her because she was so gorgeous (laughs) i just feel like i would be weirded out no if somebody was leaving and then turned around to come back yeah maybe but i mean there was like an attraction there okay and it was 1992 it's not like she could times were different yeah exactly it was payphone So the two had talked about how Eduardo was from Mexico and Jane had loved to travel and wanted to explore Mexico more. And from that moment at the grocery store, their romance pretty much started. After a few months of exchanging phone calls and gifts and photos, Eduardo had convinced Jane to quit her job, finish up her schooling, and move to Mexico to be with him. And that's exactly what she did. Okay. This is happening very quickly. Is it not? Yes. Big change. Definitely, but... Doing it for love. Love at first sight, baby. Doing it all for love. So while she was visiting Eduardo in Mexico on one occasion, she fell in love with San Miguel de Allende, which is where he took her. Oh, I thought this was another person. Oh, no, it's a town, (laughs) or a city, rather, in Mexico. And she fell in love with this, this place so much to the point where she said she didn't want to go back to the U.S. and wanted to settle in this small town in Mexico with him. Eduardo was one of nine children of Jose Garcia Valseca, who 50 years ago owned a newspaper publishing empire in Mexico. Jose Valseca ran his newspapers from a luxury Pullman train car, and decades later, that train car was given to Eduardo. When he had initially invited Jane on a, on a train ride while she was visiting him in Mexico, she had no idea that, that train car actually belonged to him. 
That was until they were walking toward it and a man came out with a white jacket, black gloves, and a silver tray, which left her completely speechless. Of this family fortune, the train car was all that Eduardo had. The rest, along with the newspaper empire, had since withered away. But Jane wasn't in this relationship for the money, so that didn't really matter to her. The two were incredibly happy and soon married and shopping for a home in San Miguel de Allende. This city is 450 years old, it's rich in history and art, and it's so beautiful that 10% of the population is made up of people who moved there from other countries. San Miguel de Allende is far away from the notorious crime of Mexico City, and Jane said she never felt threatened while she was living there. She said it's probably even safer statistically than many cities in the United States. The two built a business in real estate, buying old places, flipping them, and then reselling them. No way. Yeah. Were they knocking out the wall in between the kitchen To make it a more open concept? Open concept. (laughs) I'm sure they were. Back in the 90s, baby. Yeah. It had been a dream of Jane's to live out in the country with a big organic garden, fruit trees, horses, and other animals for their three kids to play with. And soon enough, they found a rundown 1,000-acre ranch. 1,000 acres. That's a lot of land. Yeah. For So they found it for dirt cheap because it was in foreclosure, and at the time it was essentially a pile of rocks. But with a lot of time and love, they transformed it into their dream home. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching HGTV. <laughs> and if you look to your left, you'll see a lovely granite countertop. It's your new home. <laughs> it's just no, rocks. Bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it is a very gorgeous ranch that they made. They they made it into their dream home for sure. Any money that they made buying and flipping and then reselling other real estate, they put back into their ranch. So it was gorgeous. They surrounded it with big gates. They had a riding ring for their horses and even found a restored old water fountain that was once part of the Valseca estate and the old train car that Eduardo inherited from his family was also there which ended up being perfect because the railroad track just so happened to run through their property oh cool yeah so they had a their own train car on their property wait you have to like take it on and off then right i mean there are like separate parts of the track that you can like redirect trains so i'm sure they didn't have to move it but then does that mean that trains are going through their property at night well it's a thousand acres so i mean still i i don't know this is a bit of information that i did not find i'm like what's negative about this situation there's nothing bad about this situation (laughs) it's incredible it was the perfect place for their three young children to grow up in jane and eduardo wanted better schooling for their children there that's i guess the bad thing But they discovered the Waldorf School, and it wasn't available in San Miguel at the time, but Jane was determined to bring this school to Mexico. So they donated some of the land from their ranch and got a group of parents together, and they founded the school. So they were like, we'll just push it somewhere else. Dude, Jane made it happen, did she not? Hell yeah. They're really a power couple. Which was great for them because that meant they only had a very short quarter-mile drive to drop off their kids every single morning. Oh, that's the move. Quarter-mile? Make them walk. (laughs) Well, one of them actually rode a donkey to school. That is sweet. Yeah, the oldest one would ride a donkey. So their morning routine was to get up. Usually, Fernando, their oldest, would ride to school on their donkey or on a four-wheeler. And the other two kids would pile into their Jeep with Jane and Eduardo, and they would all sing songs on their way to school. Oh my god. Very wholesome, very gorgeous. Too wholesome. I know. Which brings us to June 13th, 2007. It was a usual bright, sunny morning, only two weeks before the kids' summer vacation. Fernando got on his donkey, and the other two kids got into the Jeep and bumped down their narrow country road to school. When they pulled into the parking lot of the school, Jane noticed that there was a small compact car in the far corner of the parking lot, and inside was a man at the wheel wearing a khaki fisherman's hat and glasses. She had never seen this man before, so she's like, hmm, that's a little weird. Yeah, also, I feel like you wouldn't be able to recognize him. What? I just got a hat and shades on. Right. So Jane walked the children to their classrooms, but on her way out, stopped in the office to ask if they knew who the man was or if he needed help. And they told her they didn't know who he was, but he was most likely just waiting for someone. As Jane walked back out, 
she made eye contact with this man and actually smiled at him as she got into the Jeep with Eduardo and the two pulled out of the parking lot. The small car followed behind them. And then, out of nowhere, a pickup truck appeared. Keep in mind, this is a quarter-mile drive on their property because they donated the land. Oh, so they're, they're all on their property. Yes. So the man in the small car had caught up to them on the dirt road, and as he was directly next to their car, looked over at them with what Jane said was a very scary look. And both Jane and Eduardo got a really bad feeling. And that feeling only worsened when the pickup truck positioned itself in front of them with the small car right beside them and then behind them, almost hurting them like cattle. At that point, Eduardo said to Jane that something was definitely not right. Only seconds later, the car in front of them slammed on their brakes, so Eduardo does the same, and then they were hit from behind by the small car. Immediately, a man comes from the passenger side of the car in front of them over to Eduardo, holding a gun and a hammer in the other hand. He shattered Eduardo's window and then landed a hard blow to Eduardo's head, sending blood all over his face. A second attacker ran at Jane's side and pulled her from the jeep. She screamed and kicked at him and grabbed at the fence next to her, which was barbed wire, so she cut her hands before the man wrestled her to the ground. While she was laying on the ground, this man points a gun directly at her head and, in Spanish, tells her to get up. The first thing Jane says was, please don't kill me, I have three children. Very quickly after, both Jane and Eduardo were hurried into an SUV where they had pillowcases put over their heads and their hands and feet were bound before they sped away. Eduardo was losing his mind, screaming at the top of his lungs and cursing and everything, and Jane was trying to comfort him, but she said it was as if he didn't even hear her because of how worked up he was, and he also most likely had a concussion. The men in the front seat screamed at him to shut up. Within minutes, the attack had gotten back to the school, and two of the teachers drove down the road to find the Valseca's jeep abandoned in the middle of the road with a shattered window and blood in the front seat. I mean, are they just going to call... They have to call the police, right? I mean, what else can they do? Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero not because they have special powers it's because in spite of what they've gone through they keep on going i find them remarkable please listen to chatholic and hear their stories um well we're going to talk about the police in a little while but i actually am not sure if the school called the police but they were aware that something happened yeah really you yeah. find an abandoned Jeep with blood in a shattered window. I would yep. call that something. Yep. So back in the SUV, Jane was having a hard time breathing under the pillowcase. She felt for Eduardo and felt all the blood from both his head and her hand. And as they were driving, she was trying to memorize every bump and turn they made until the car came to a screeching halt and Eduardo screamed as he was pulled out of the car. Jane heard her husband be shoved into another car and as the doors of that car closed she couldn't hear her husband anymore then she heard the engine start and just as the car was pulling away she managed to get the pillowcase off of her eyes in time to see what kind of car it was and she was even able to memorize the plate wow yeah and just as quickly as she had seen that happen she realized she was alone oh they left her yep they pulled out Eduardo, Why? got into another car, and they left her there. Why? Well, this is all very uh, rehearsed, if you will. It's, yeah, this was incredibly organized. Yeah, and very like, planned. Yes, so this is on purpose, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that was a silly thing to say, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. You're like, oh, they walked her alone. Anyway, yes, they did. Eduardo thought that Jane had been pulled into the car with him because he couldn't see it, a pillowcase over his head still. And he was driven for about 45 minutes before the car stopped again. They kept telling him to shut up and calling him, you know, an asshole and all these names. And 
Once the car had stopped, he was pulled into a dark room where they stripped him naked and removed his blindfold. Eduardo saw that in the corner of the room he was in was a box. And as he saw it, a man pushed him forward and pushed his head down, forcing him into the box. And inside this box, the entire interior was covered in this dark gray, very rough material. It was so compact inside that he only had four fingers of space above his head and only two fingers of space to either side of him. This box was six feet high, seven and a half feet long, and 27 inches wide. Those with claustrophobia do not think about this too much. Yeah, seriously. Um, what I want to know is, why are there so many boxes? Yeah. Why are there so many people being kept in boxes? I don't understand. I don't like it. No. It's highly... Um, distressing to me to think about the idea of someone being shoved in a box. I hate it. Um, He's in a box. There were two light bulbs on the ceiling of this box that were constantly on 24-7 and a camera in the top right corner that would always be watching him. There were two speakers in the box as well that were always blasting music and he had a bucket on the ground that was filled with a few inches of chlorine. The smell was absolutely terrible and it was so bad that it was burning his eyes, which I can say that's triggering because I used to clean pools and the smell of chlorine makes me gag now. Really? Yes. I kind of like it. I like it when it's diluted in a pool, but when you have pure, just straight up bleach in a container and you get a whiff of it, that makes me want to die. Right. So I You cannot- mean chlorine? Uh, yes, but it's essentially bleach. Oh, is it? Yeah, but just the thought, like, I I can understand what he meant when he said it was burning his eyes, because I was like, "Uh I have felt that. I mean, so he can't sit down, right? He's standing up in a box. He can sit down, but he does not have much room at all. And also, if he sits down, they get mad at him, because he's... And they have a light and a camera, so And blasting music, 24-7. Yeah. There were also two holes... On either side of the box, one was constantly pumping air in, and the other was constantly sucking air out. The first thing he felt was immediate terror. He was completely exposed in a tiny box. The kidnappers slid sheets of paper under the door and told Eduardo that he had to write the exact amount of money that he had to his name. And they told him not to lie because they already knew everything about him, and said they also had they also had Jane in another box, and she had already given a number. And if he lied, they would kill him. They also told him, don't think about writing something stupid like $2 million, because that wasn't even enough to buy the flowers for his funeral. Wow. Imagine that. Two mil. They're like, that's not even enough for some daisies. Eduardo was so terrified for his wife and was in such extreme conditions that he would hallucinate that he could hear his wife screaming, but thankfully that was not the case for her. Jane wasn't in the box next to Eduardo, as we know. She was still in the trunk of the SUV. She managed to pull herself over the seats and then open the door. She then started hopping down the road in flip-flops as if she were in a sack race because her hands and feet were still bound. And she knew she had to get to the highway to flag down a car for help. But as she was hopping, she came upon an elderly man riding an old rusted bicycle with a machete in the loop of his pants. But he didn't have a cell phone to call the police. So she had to keep going. And so she tried flagging down cars once she finally did get to a road that had cars driving by. But every car that passed her accelerated instead of braking because I'm sure it looked pretty scary seeing a woman bound in duct tape and bleeding on the side of the highway next to a man with a machete. Yeah, don't want to stop for that. No. Why did he cut her hands and feet with the machete? Like, I guess not, because she was still hopping and she still had her hands bound because she was like, I can only imagine how scary it must have been for the people seeing me because I had my hands and feet bound next to a man with a machete and I was covered in blood. And I was like, oh, that's not great, Jane. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're trying to wave right. people down. Got, I'm like, sure two every, hands. anyone who's not terrified is just confused. Right. It's just not a good scene. So nobody was stopping for Jane. And in sheer desperation, she threw herself in front of an oncoming bus with her hands in front of her as if she were praying 
that he would stop. So, you know, with her hands, you know, prayer style. Do you understand? <laughs> yeah, I get you it. You get it? I'm trying to paint a picture. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, doing a great job. Thank you very much. Uh, thank God the bus did stop. But again, no cell phone on this bus. So finally, the bus driver was able to flag down a taxi who was able to call the police. She thought because she had the car and plate number, they'd be able to seal off the roads of the city and find her husband, but that unfortunately was not the case at all. The only thing they knew was that these men seemed to carry out this abduction with extreme professionalism. It was a well-oiled machine that took seconds to carry out. The only other clue at the time was an envelope found next to the abandoned SUV that was addressed to Jane. And when she found the envelope, it sent chills up her spine because the kidnappers had spent had spelt her name correctly, which usually wasn't the case since she spelled her name with a Y. J-A-Y-N-E. Oh. Inside the envelope was a ransom note telling her to open up an email account that they had set up for her with a certain password and wait for further instructions from them. She knew then that the kidnappers had been watching them for some time, and she knew she needed to be very careful with how she proceeded because her husband's life was very much at stake. And kidnappings in Mexico, and specifically Mexico City, are extremely common. Thousands of people every year are kidnapped and held for ransom. This is a huge problem because the police and much of the police force in Mexico are extremely corrupt, and people don't trust them. There's corruption at the state level, at the federal level, and at the municipal level, which is why so many kidnappings go unreported, making it impossible to know just how many kidnappings actually happen in Mexico every year. A woman whose husband was also kidnapped had her husband's fingers sent to her every time she would tell the kidnappers she didn't have the kind of money they were demanding. When Jane and Eduardo were settling down in San Miguel de Allende, Jane was concerned about the kidnappings in Mexico, but Eduardo told her not to worry because they wouldn't come all the way out to the countryside. And now... Here they were. Here they were in this terrible position, and she had to decide which police force she wanted to help bring her husband home, if any. She had the choice between the local or state police. She could call the AFI, which is basically the Mexican equivalent to the FBI, so the federal police, or she could get a private contractor that she could that she could pay out of pocket. Jane had heard about other kidnappings and knew of a man who had recently had his 25-year-old daughter kidnapped. Her father knew he needed to call the police. Her father knew he needed to call the police for his daughter's kidnapping, but he also knew that one of the gang members who had taken his daughter was one of the lead officers in charge of the anti-kidnapping group. Great. So he knew he couldn't go with the state police and had to go federal. But even with negotiations made between the kidnappers and the federal police, his daughter was still tragically murdered. So it's just, it happens so often and the police on so many levels are corrupt that like you just can't predict what's going to happen or trust anyone. Wow. Yeah. This, this is a horror. I know. You, so there's literally just no help for you. Right. Pretty, pretty much. much. I mean, that's how she was feeling. She was feeling very helpless. So she placed calls all around the world to private companies to see who could help and how much it would cost. But they told her that it would cost her somewhere around $2,500 a day for their help. And she couldn't afford that. So she asked the state police what their success rate was with solving kidnappings. And they told her 100% of the time they catch the bad guy and get the person home, which made, okay. right, which made her feel incredibly uneasy and untrusting because not even 100% of the parking violations get solved. Yeah, you can't get 100% of anything. Right. So she's like, okay, not the state police, which left her with the AFI or the AFI. What? The AFI. She called it the AFI. Really? Yeah. I'm not just making it up. Okay. I know. I'm just thinking the American equivalent would be like the FBI or Fabi. as she called it. Fabi. Fabi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that too, but it, she did call it the AFI. So I, I assume right, well, people call it the AFI. Save us, AFI, please. Seriously. Eduardo was told that he could only communicate through 
passing notes under the door. He couldn't even make noise. And if he did, he was told he'd be beaten until he understood. On day one, a masked kidnapper unlocked the box and gave Eduardo a note that told him that they were demanding $8 million. Eduardo told them he didn't have that kind of money, which only angered them when he said he didn't have it because they knew about Eduardo's family history and who his father was. So they figured that he was left with a fortune. But the reality was that Valseca had lost his fortune before his death. And then what was left was split between his nine children. Hence why Eduardo only got the train car. I mean, it's still a train car, but, you know, it's not like a fortune, you know? Right. It's not $8 million. No, definitely not. And they said they lived, like, they had a nice ranch, but they put all of their money into the ranch. So they don't have, like, a ton of money just sitting around. They are real estate people, and they make a modest living, you know? Right. When Jane finally made it home that night, she was tasked with the impossible— telling her children that their father had been taken. She told her two youngest that he was away on a business trip, but Fernando was 12 and knew that that wasn't true. So he was told the truth. After that, Jane sat down at the computer, hoping that she would log on to this email they set up. There would be a message and she'd give them whatever she had at her disposal. She just wanted her husband back, and she was hoping that this would be an open and shut deal in 24 hours. Yeah, I hate to break it to her. It's not going to be 24 hours. Definitely not, but she was hoping for the best at this point. And she had contacted the Appy, but they were stationed in Mexico City, so it was going to take time to get an officer out to her in San Miguel. So the AFI officer told Jane that he would be arriving to her home to stay with them within the next 12 hours. So all she could do was wait. At 3 a.m., she got a call from this AFI agent asking if someone could come pick him up in town. He had just taken the bus from Mexico City. And this was a little shocking to Jane because she was expecting a big burly man to roll up in an SUV with a bulletproof vest holding an assault rifle. But what she got was a young, scrawny, straight out of high school or college guy with a baseball cap, glasses, and a backpack. They don't even give him his own car? No. And after she shook his hand, the first thing she asked was, are you armed? And he said no. Buddy. Yeah. So in that answer, he saw her disappointment and took off his hat and glasses and said, would you really want me rolling up in a bulletproof vest in a Suburban? What if you're being watched? You could get your husband killed. Oh, smart. Yeah, Yeah, you're the dumb one, Jane. Come on now. Right. (laughs) And also, he was older than he looked. This man was an experienced hostage negotiator with the AFI, so his weapon was his laptop. And that connected him to a team of agents back in Mexico City, because at any given time, they were dealing with like 25 abductions. Oh my god. Isn't that insane? I mean, I guess at least he has a lot of experience. Oh, God. You know, let's find the good. Very small silver lining. You know? I mean, this, like, rolling up the way he did, totally not what I would have thought would happen normally either. Right. But so smart. Very smart. And she was being watched. I mean, she was clearly being watched for a long time for them to be able to carry out such a well-oiled kidnapping. Right. He told her that the people who kidnapped her husband were almost definitely from the fringe Marxist political group called the EPR. And they knew this because left behind on on Eduardo's car seat was a brand new hammer. This wasn't the hammer that they used in the attack. It was a calling card. It was like a signature. So they're like, it's probably them. Oh, this is like what they do. They leave hammers? Apparently. He also told her that she needed to brace herself because this wasn't going to be over in 24 hours. Having dealt with this group before, he said it was most likely going to take months if she was lucky. Wow. Yeah. Five days later, she finally received a message on this email saying that they were demanding $8 million and there would be no negotiation. They also told her to respond to this message In the missing pets column of the newspaper with very specific wording, she had to talk about a chow chow, 
and the eight million would be eight thousand dollars in the in the ad. So that's what she did. She told them in a cryptic message that this puppy was lost on Wednesday and we're doing what we can to come up with the price asked for this puppy, but the price asked is out of our economic reality. And then she just had to wait. Back in the box, Eduardo was suffering sleep deprivation due to the constant light and the music that was being blasted. He knew that they were trying to drive him crazy and he didn't want to let them, so he focused on calming his mind. He would visualize the night sky full of stars back on his ranch, and he would repeat to himself to trust that force and energy, and he would remember the love that his family had for him, and he would just try to go somewhere else. On day 10, they gave Eduardo a note telling him they had released Jane. They also told him that his stupid family didn't want to cooperate with them, so they weren't sure if they were going to start cutting off his fingers now or start shooting. They told him he wasn't going to come out of there the same way he came in. 30 days into his captivity, and they still had the lights on 24-7 and were blasting two songs over and over, day and night. But that's when they switched it over to just one song being played consistently. They wouldn't let Eduardo rest even a little bit. If they saw him lay down on the floor of the box, they would immediately blast the music to be even louder than it already was. He said he had gotten used to the small space and the constant light, but one thing that you will never get used to is the constant loud music. It will drive you insane. Yeah, I mean, sleep deprived the same song on loop loudly. If the same song was on loop softly, I would go insane. Oh, yeah. So and it was all of these... 24-7. Yeah, all of these together is just, I don't understand how anyone could be in any state approximating normal or like, okay. Yeah, I I can't even imagine what that would actually be like, you know. I mean, how like long has hearing, he been doing that for? Th- he That was around 30 days in. So that was... 30 days? Yeah, that was around a month in. He was still constantly hearing the same song and the lights were on. And he could only stand. He couldn't really lay down. They barely fed him. They would feed him like an apple every once in a while. He was not being fed. And he was in the bright light and blasting music. Yeah, this is hell. Yeah, really close to it. A few weeks after Jane had sent out the ad in the paper, she received more emails from the kidnappers. But this time, they were letters that had been written by Eduardo himself. They said that he was suffering more than she could imagine. He said, they beat me, tied me up, I'm naked, I haven't eaten, and I'm going crazy. He said he can't handle this torture anymore. And it destroyed her because this was her husband's handwriting. She knew that Eduardo had written those words. And in the end of the letter, it said, our children are going to know that you left me to die because of money. And Jane said, seeing this letter was incredibly painful but she said she knew that even though it was his writing she they were most likely making him write some of what he said because she knew he would never say that to her so she wasn't taking it personally but still she was so desperate all she had was their checking account they put their cars the ranch and their savings account in eduardo's name so she couldn't touch it she just began selling things The first to go was Eduardo's horses, their rabbits, other farm animals they had, the machinery they had on the farm. Anything she could sell, she sold, but she only raised about $20,000. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, aren't they married? Like, you're the same person, like, financially when you're married? I thought you'd be able to sell things, but maybe not. And Maybe they just had, like, separate accounts for something? Yeah, I don't know, but... God, I can't imagine how hopeless that would feel because two of twenty grand is a far cry from eight mil. Like Seriously. you're not even close. No. And you're just literally giving away the farm. Right. Yeah. In her next ad, she begged the kidnappers to understand that she had she'd never have the millions they wanted, but that only made them turn up the heat. They had started saying that if she didn't come up with the money by a certain date, they were going to start cutting off his fingers and inject him with AIDS-tainted blood. Oh my god. I mean, these people are so horrifically creative. Yes, evil. 
And Jane talked about how, like, these people will literally take everything from you and then some, and, like, that's all they want. Like, they don't care about you at all, and they'll just destroy your life and your family and hurt your loved ones and then take everything you have and leave you for nothing. Like, what is their goal? Is it just to create pain? I don't know. You said they were a Marxist political group. Like, are they doing this for some end or are they literally just doing it for fun i i don't know <laughs> you know i don't i'm not entirely sure what they were doing it for um but i'm sure it was just for money like i'm sure it was i mean yeah but if it's just for fun it's so much darker i don't think it's for fun i think they're doing it because they want the money and when they because we're going to talk about it later on when they realize that they're not going to get a certain amount of money out of her things change. So it's about the money. They want to get as much as possible and they're obviously highballing her, you know? Right. After some time, they sent Jane a message giving her directions to go find a package from Eduardo. She thought that it was going to be a body part or fingers because that's what they had threatened. But it was a bunch of IOUs signed by Eduardo. And with these, Jane could get a loan for the ransom. But when she went to, you know, local businessmen, they turned her down because they thought that it was forgery or that they would never see their money again or, you know, they just were not going to give her $8 million. I mean, were they wrong? They were never going to see that. Well, she was very adamant that she would pay them back and even if it took her a long long time they would eventually see it back but there's no guarantee that it would be anytime soon you know yeah i mean they're not getting their money back she's literally sold everything on her farm and got 20 grand now she's gonna pay eight million dollars back in 2007 exactly in mexico it's just not happening right so at this point it had been many months into eduardo's capture and during his beatings they started telling him lies about jane He was told she had another man in her life, and they seemed very happy together, and they were having a great time with your money. And because they told him so many lies over and over again, he was starting to believe some of them. And that's when they forced Eduardo to write hundreds of letters to Jane. They also had injected him with blood that they said was laced with HIV. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Tainted. Tainted with HIV. Yeah. Yeah. So they're torturing him to the, you know, highest extent. I literally can't think of how it could get worse, but I'm sure that they will. Yeah, so Jane was still receiving nasty letters from Eduardo because at this point they have a whole arsenal of nasty letters from Eduardo to Jane. And now they were sending her pictures of Eduardo after he had been injected. And they told her that they were going to shoot him next. On day 141 which was about five months, the men came into the box, blindfolded Eduardo, and bound his hands and feet, pulled him out, and shot him in the leg. Eduardo said it was the worst pain he's ever experienced. It felt as if a bomb had exploded from the inside out of his leg. And that's when they sent Jane another picture of Eduardo, and it showed his leg that had been shot, and there was also a newspaper next to him to show the date. Part of Jane didn't think that they were actually going to go through with it, but she said, but she had this terrible picture of her husband who was super skinny at this point and bleeding from a hole in his leg. They told her they were going to continue to shoot him every 15 days until she came up with the money. Jane said she snapped that day. She told her agent that if they wanted, if they wanted her to get through this sane, he needed to be the filter. She didn't want to see any more pictures of her husband or read any more of his letters. After being shot, Eduardo was just put back into the box. He was still bleeding and he had and he had to literally just lay in a pool of his own blood. His wound got infected and the men told him they were going to see what killed him first, the infection or the multiple bullet wounds around his body that they were going to inevitably give him. And two weeks later, he was pulled out and shot again, this time in the arm. Eduardo was in absolute hell, and he didn't feel like it was even worth it to live anymore. He did try taking his life a few times, but he was unsuccessful. 
To make matters worse, the newspapers, which were Jane's only way of communication with the kidnappers, became suspicious of what was going on and wouldn't let her post ads anymore. But she knew that if the ads just disappeared, then the kidnappers would think she had just lost interest. So she had to beg the woman from the newspaper to let her post one last ad explaining herself, and then she would never post again. So this was really scary, but it actually ended up being, I guess, okay, because they moved communication to another newspaper very briefly. But soon after that, the phone calls began. So she was expecting this phone call, and Jane was expecting someone with a disguised voice on the other side of the phone with her. She had been preparing with her AFI agent on what to say, and they even had a dry erase board set up with basic with a basic script that she should follow. But to her shock and horror, when she answered the phone, it was Eduardo. You know what I've been thinking this whole time? What? Couldn't they use the newspaper that they sent in the picture to figure out like approximately where they are no because they knew that they were in mexico in like mexico city at least around there oh well i just didn't know if there was like they only distributed to a certain area that would be good but even if they knew like a general place it's not gonna give them the location of where the kidnappers are you know it's just like a dark room with a picture of eduardo in a newspaper it's true Yeah, but I like where your head's at. We want to get Eduardo home. (laughs) So on the other line was Eduardo, and he was incredibly angry. He called Jane names and basically said all of the nasty things that he had written in the letters. Jane answered all the questions that he was asking her because she knew that it was coming from the kidnappers. And then afterward, she broke down and told her husband she loved him and how much she and the kids missed him. And when she said that, his tone changed completely, and he told her that he loved her too, and then the kidnappers hung up. So, ouch. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't imagine what he's going through. He's definitely not well. No. I mean, he's been fed lies. Yeah, fed lies. and... And it's been months of nonstop torture, like... Damn near six months. Yeah, and then for her to hear that, oh my god. She almost didn't, she almost wasn't able to hold it together. And in the middle of the conversation, she like turned to the agent and was basically like, I can't do this. And he was like, you've been training for this, you have to do it. And she pulled it together and answered all the questions. And then she like broke and then said she loved him, which I'm sure helped him because. Yeah, you need something, some hope. Right. But the torture only got worse for Eduardo. The quantity and the quality of the food got worse. And at that point, it was almost six months into his captivity, and he was nearly skin and bones. Jane's AFI agent had instructed her to stop answering. That was going to be their way of putting pressure back on them and get kind of an upper hand. Because kidnap is a very expensive thing to do on their end. They have to pay people and... You know, they need money. They need her. As much as they don't want the as much as they don't want her to know that, they need her. And if she didn't respond, they would start getting desperate. And they did. The messages started getting more frequent and more urgent, and Jane, feeling that she was kind of actually putting pressure on them, decided she could do something else. She often felt like they were being watched. And she decided to start moving things around her ranch to look as if she were about to flee for the States. She wanted them to think maybe they wouldn't get anything from her at all. Which is very smart. Yeah, I was like, that's a great move by her. Yeah. They told Eduardo his family didn't want to cooperate and they were going to kill him. And he had been through so much that the first thought that came to his head was, good. I'm glad that this will be over and my family won't give a single dollar to these criminals. Yeah, that's how I would feel. Yeah. That was my thought. Right. They pulled him out of the box and made him face the wall, and he thought that that was the end. He heard them lay down a plastic sheet, and he thought that that would be for his body. But instead, they pushed his head up against the wall and shaved off his hair and his beard, which at that point had been growing for six and a half months and it was very long but that's all they did eduardo would spend his days sitting in this box unable to move for 16 hours a day 
Still, with the music blasting the same song, he would have conversations with himself and people who weren't there, or he would pick up hairs from people who had been in the box before him. Oh. Yeah. When he was talking about it, he was like, I would just clean up. Like, he had nothing to do. He's like, I had had whole conversations with people who weren't there. Every day I would wake up and start talking to my friends as if they were standing next to me. And then I would, you know, try to pick up hairs. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to find something. Right. Right, to do. But that's... Uh, it's so interesting how his mind just kind of filled in, like, the social gap. Yeah. With just hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was hallucinating from the from the start. He thought he could hear Jane screaming. Right. On day one, pretty much. But, you know, she wasn't even there. So, it's insane what the, what the mind can do, you know? On Jane's end, she was still trying to get money from friends, but everyone believed Eduardo was already dead. But thankfully, two people separately came to Jane and wrote her very large checks. And they were never specified what the actual amount of the checks were, but they declined her offer for her to pay them back, but they just asked that they remain anonymous. And because of that, a new flurry of negotiations happened between Jane and the kidnappers. Finally, after seven months, Jane received an email from the kidnappers who had lowered their demands to what she said she'd be able to offer with this new chunk of money. So they told her that they had a deal, and now she had to get ready to deliver this money. I don't have the official final amount, but I know that it was a fraction of what they asked, but it had to be in $100 US bills. And when she went to the bank, only the manager knew what she was there for. She had to go into the back room and count all of this money and then put on a brave face and walk out with it in a bag. And as she left the bank, there were a few people around her town that had recognized her and stopped her. And she actually had to stop and talk to them because she was like trying to act normal. She even put the bag down between her feet as if it were a yoga bag as she's like talking to this person. And she had like God only knows how much money in this bag. Oh my God. The anxiety. Seriously. The kidnappers wanted a family member to deliver the money, but the AFI agent told them absolutely not. So Jane asked two of her employees, who were two brothers, who had been in their lives for over 10 years, if they would do the exchange for her, and they told her absolutely. So they all drove to Mexico City. Jane checked them into a hotel and then went back to San Miguel and sent them and sent a message to the kidnappers demanding proof that Eduardo was still alive. And soon after that, she received a photo of her husband holding that day's newspaper. But when she got the photo, it was extremely shocking to see how emaciated Eduardo had become. Like I said earlier, he had been skin and bones at like five months, and now they're at like pretty much seven and a half months. So he was not looking good. Just barely hanging on. Actually. Two days went before the kidnappers reached back out. They told Jane the two brothers she had chosen had to leave the hotel that day at 5 p.m. wearing summer clothes, even though it was winter. They had to mark their car with a duct tape T, and if there was any kind of federal agent involved, the deal was off. They were ordered to a nearby KFC where they found a note taped to a payphone which would give them directions to their next place. It was like a really fucked up scavenger hunt. Each note would lead them to a new restaurant or a convenience store with another note taped to a payphone. And this went on for hours. They drove around the city for hours. And in the final note, there was the proof of life photo of Eduardo with his face cut out of it. And the note said, make sure the person you hand this off to has the missing piece, meaning Eduardo's face. Oh, like the piece of paper. Yes, not his actual face. Oh my face. god. I was like, it did get worse. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible, but they mean the picture. They pulled up to a dark alley, and the older of the two brothers decided that he would be the one to walk down the alley with the sack of money. And so he did, and then he disappeared. I can't even imagine the amount of anxiety they must have been feeling. I mean, this whole time... Right, well, and then yeah. while you're talking to your neighbors with like 
half a mil or something. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, these two brothers, like, now they're gone. I, I just mean, like, I can't, like, shout out to these two brothers that are literally just, like, their employees. I mean, they're yeah. friends, obviously. They've been friends for multiple years and at this point, but imagine being like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go do the ransom exchange with oh. these very dangerous kidnappers. Hell no. I, <laughs> I don't know anyone at my job that well <laughs> yeah at i'm your not place doing that for you <laughs> imagine going up to your coworker and being like hey um my wife was kidnapped can you please go exchange however many millions of dollars to get her back I'm like oh my god i didn't know you're also on call this week <laughs> um there's an issue you need to take, care, take of. care of that thank you <laughs> right um so the older of the two brothers was like i'll do it and so he walked down the alley and then he disappeared the other brother, the younger brother, who hung back in the car to keep watch, was waiting for his brother to return, but minutes turned into hours and hours and hours, and they knew that something was very wrong. He saw a car hovering nearby that was watching them, or at least seemed to be, and it was a police car, but it wasn't acting like a police car, so he believed it was the kidnappers. And after waiting half of the night for his brother to return in that spot, he was instructed to go back to the hotel and wait. What, are they going to ransom his older brother now? Um, maybe. So now they have the older brother. And 24 hours passed before Jane got an email. They said they had counted the money and it was all there in in unmarked bills as they asked, but they were going to keep this new man after they gave back Eduardo, and now they'd have to cough up the rest of the $8 million to get this man back. It never ends. <laughs> Just the, the look of defeat. I was like, like, it never ends. Truly. Yeah, it's a nightmare. That's what, okay, oh and they, the kidnappers were like, we want a family member of yours to drop off this money. And the AFI agent was like, nope. So um, imagine it was yeah. another family member. I mean, it's it, it's pretty much another family member. It's a close friend. But, like, can you... What? <laughs> huh? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, we need to send the military on these people. They, that's... I mean, they have the AFI. It's the FBI. I know, but go after them. They don't know where like, they are. I know. But, like, I literally turn the city upside down and yeah. fucking find and kill these people. Right. Well, if only... But meanwhile, there's like, what, 25 other active kidnappings happening? You know? I know, but oh my god. Right. So Jane had to just sit there and wait for like days before any any sort of communication happened. She was like, are they even going to give back Eduardo? What's going to happen to this other man? At this point, I have no money. So she was she was like, what, what the hell is, what, what am I going to do? Yeah, where's the AFI agent? I mean, he's the there. Way. Oh, okay, that's another thing. I didn't write this down, but when this second guy got kidnapped and the, and the kidnappers were like, now you have to cough up the rest of the $8 million and we're not going to like give them back, the AFI agent who had been at this point living with Jane and her children at her house for seven months walked outside and Jane's son found him crying in the alleyway. So he was not expecting this to happen. And the fact that it did, like, really shook him. Wow, even him. Yeah. That's when you know you're in a tough situation. Yeah, it sounds like they're fucked. Yeah. But seven and a half months into his captivity, Eduardo was told that his ransom had been paid. He was given pants, a shirt, and a baseball cap and was thrown over a man's shoulder and put into a car. He was driven to a cemetery at around 5 in the morning. They told him to face a wall and count very slowly to 200. So he did. And when he finally opened his eyes, he said it was like being on a new planet because he had been in that box for so long. He started... He couldn't believe that he was actually free because they were gone. They left him in the cemetery. Can he walk? B barely. He started walking but didn't know which way to go, and his legs were so weak that he stumbled and fell a few times before making it to the nearest highway. When he got to the road, he saw a car drive by, and he put his thumb up to get, hitch a ride. Thankfully, 
it was not the kidnappers because when he was telling this story and he's like, I put my thumb up to hitchhike, I was like, oh God, he's gonna nah, get yeah. he's gonna get kidnapped 2.0. Like I can't handle that. Um, but it, it wasn't. He got a, he hitched a ride home and he made it to the ranch and he walked up to the glass door and saw Jane staring back at him. When she saw Eduardo standing there, she had no idea that it was her husband. That's how different he looked. It looked like an old, thin man who was losing his hair was standing at her door. And at first she thought it was maybe one of the kidnappers, maybe one of the people who had been watching her this entire time. But finally she realized who it was that she was looking at. And when she opened the door, he could barely walk, he couldn't speak, he just cried. She told him everything was going to be okay, but finally he said it wasn't because they had their employee and they had to get him back. Jane, at first, didn't want the kids to see him because he was like skin and bones, but finally she told them that they could see him and they all embraced, but nobody could talk. Yeah, I mean, what is there to say? Right. How how do you talk? What You just bawl. Right. For days. Yes. Eduardo had lost half of his body weight during captivity. He came out after seven and a half months, and he was only 84 pounds. A grown man who is, like, tall. 84 pounds. Wow. Yeah. When the police talked to Eduardo, they told him they'd be better off if they left Mexico because they would never be able to guarantee that family's safety. And when the Valsecas left that meeting with the police, they were surrounded by men with assault rifles to protect them as they fled. They weren't even in their house for 48 hours before they were told to go to the States. So that's what they did. They packed their lives into one suitcase and they fled to the States. Once they were there, the entire family had to be treated for PTSD, and it took Eduardo months to heal physically, and I mean, I don't know if that he'll, that he'll ever heal no, totally mean, emotionally. You're never going to be able same. to heal from that fully. Right. He lost 15% of his hearing due to the constant blasting music. He had a concussion. His liver was damaged. They broke three of his ribs. He had a severe stomach stomach infection. The wound on his leg from the gunshot was severe, although tests showed that the blood he had that had been injected into him did not contain HIV. So he didn't have that's HIV. Good. I guess that's a slight win. But all the other stuff was really bad. Yeah. Could you imagine his therapist telling him to gratitude journal? Oh, God. I mean, like, yeah, kind of. Like, yeah, but how dark. The I blood mean, that was injected into me didn't contain HIV. Well, when I think they would start out really severe, and then they would get more... I mean, I'm sure, but, you know, you I'm, know. I'm just saying, what yeah. a concept. Right. Well, he's going to need a lot of therapy, because, I mean, he yeah. was waking up with nightmares. Like, Jane said that when they were sleeping, he would just wake up in the middle of the night suddenly and, like, touch her to make sure that you know, he was actually where he was. He fell out of bed a few times because he forgot that he wasn't like on the ground of the box. He was having a really hard time, which I mean, is completely understandable considering the torture he went through for seven and a half months, but it's insane. Right. I mean, it's not going to be any other way. Right. But still, even though they were, you know, gone, Jane was in contact with the kidnappers to negotiate the release of their employee the kidnappers promised they'd kill the employee and their entire family if they didn't get what they wanted. Okay, but haven't they've made this threat over and over again? No? Like yeah. at what point does it lose credibility? Like truly? I mean it's it's not like they're really bluffing all that much. I mean, obviously they want yeah. this person to be alive because they want that's the only what? Collateral? It's the only thing they it's the have. Only leverage. Leverage. That they have. That's yeah. It's the only leverage they have over Jane and Eduardo, but they also clearly don't care about the state that their people that they have in captivity are in. You know. Yeah, but I'm just saying that the threat to kill him is empty, because if they do, then they're not going to get anything. I mean, kidnappers kill people all the time. If if they realize they're not going to get anything from her, who's to say they wouldn't just kill him? I maybe, but. Doesn't seem like they did. Well, not this time. 
Anyway, um, everything they had access to now that Eduardo was back was offered, even though it wasn't much. But then one day, after three months, the kidnappers just let him go. They didn't kill him. He called his family from a bus station and he was picked up. Oh, he just got lucky. Yeah. They just gave up. Yeah, they realized that they weren't going to get the money that they wanted. And I guess at this point they had been doing this for so long that they were like, well, if we're not even going to get what we set out for, we might as well just let them go. Wow. And they just didn't respond to them? Nope. I'm so, I'm like dumbfounded. I know. They just let him go. It's so shocking. I mean, you would, th- I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that he was just let go, but you really would think that they would just kill him. Yeah. The more I think about it, I'm like, if you're, if this is your business, yeah, and you have a reputation, I guess they like they're an organization that uh-huh. just does this, right? Wouldn't you want the next people to kind of believe that you would kill somebody? Yeah, but they actually they they were never one hundred percent sure that it was this group they thought it was. They just were like, oh, it, signs are saying that it probably is, but they didn't know right who it actually was true nobody had taken like full accountability for it but i mean just like imagine this is your reality this is your job no (laughs) like that's terrible there are people out there that do this for a living yeah yeah and it happens a lot eduardo and jane had tried to contact the police in mexico who promised they wouldn't rest until the kidnappers were caught but after they moved to the States, they never responded. They were literally ghosted by the cops. That's great. So they're like, "Uh, yeah. And this had happened to many people before who had experienced kidnappings. They're like the police, once it's over, they don't care. So that sucks. But around Eduardo's 61st birthday, they traveled back to Mexico to the ranch with bodyguards, thankfully this time, but they were able to see old friends and the ranch again, and they soon put it up for sale because they knew that their time in Mexico was done. But they were able to get a smaller place in the States, but that didn't matter to them, and they were able to pay back the anonymous donors who helped with Eduardo's ransom. So they, even though these donors were like, you don't have to pay me back, just keep me anonymous, they still paid them back. Yeah. So, that's great. That's a real testament to their character. Yeah. And Jane said throughout this entire thing, she's like, I will fight for this until I take my very last breath. Like, I will do everything I absolutely have to to get my husband back because that's the love of my life and I don't care if it kills me. Period. Yeah. Eduardo was one of more than 780 people kidnapped in Mexico in 2007. And in the years following, like in 2010, 11... It was something like 1,500 people had been kidnapped, like, those years. Wow. It's insane. So I just Googled how many people are kidnapped in 2021, or I guess that's what popped up, and it said 625 cases were registered. So I guess it went down, which is a plus. It's still obviously happening. Not great. Um, and And also they said many of them go unreported because of the corruption with the police, but I would like to think that it is actually going down and it's safer, question mark? I don't know. Yeah, I was just about to say, this is only the ones that get reported. Right. So you actually have no idea of knowing. Yeah, seriously. And his kidnappers have never been caught. Jane said she only made it through this because of the love she had for her husband and her children, and she never gave up, even in the worst moments she held on. And Eduardo said that he survived because he kept visualizing the love his family had for him. So that's how they made it through that. And I am very sad to say, but four years after Eduardo's release, Jane Valseca did pass away due to breast cancer, but she definitely lives on through Eduardo and her children. They adore her and they talk only about how amazing she was as a mother and a wife. And that is the story of Eduardo and Jane Valseca. God, that's so sad. I know. That's how it ends. It is, which I am very sad to say, but she seems like a really incredible woman. And absolutely. Yeah. So. Her, her children had nothing but amazing things to say about her. And they were like, we are so lucky that we had her for, you know, as long as we did and for her to be our mother and all that stuff. So 
Yeah. Making me tear up. I'm sorry. Yeah, this family is so inspiring and yeah, yeah, full of love. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to remember about this story. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to make that what it was. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Don't really want to go to Mexico anymore. Well, you know, I think it's, I don't really know much about it other than researching this story. I know there are parts that are safer than others and, you know, it's a lovely place to be. Like, it's very beautiful there, but it is a little bit spooky in some places. Yeah, I kind of wonder how many happen in the U.S., though. I bet it's more just because we have more people. Probably, yeah. yeah. Not great. Not great. Anyway, we should have a palate cleanser. What is your good thing? Uh, my good thing this week. Do you want me to go first? I never have it ready. I can go Go first. first. My good thing is I went to Target today and I got so many clothes because I needed so many clothes and I had a really good haul. I was listening to a podcast while I was in the store and just like vibing and like straight up vibing. I was straight up having a good time. For sure, dude. For sure. And you know, you got a lot of good cheap clothes. I did. I mean, yeah, I got. I, I'm. I'm a. I'm a bargain hunter. I look for the that you are the best clothes that I can get for you know the cheapest price. <laughs> does that make me? Yep. Does that make me cheap? No, that makes you smart. Smart. Thank you. I'll take yeah. that. What's mm-hmm. your good thing? Thrifty, frugal, thrifty, frugal. Sure. Whatever. Yes, we love a thrifty, frugal queen. We love to have as much money um, as possible. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, Sign what's... up for the Patreon. Yeah, also, no. <laughs> What is your good thing? Uh, my good thing is that I actually, I've been like quasi injured. Yeah. Uh, for a few months, probably more. And um, I've gotten back to running. It's been on my leg um, and it just like hurt to run. Mm. But um, I've been doing these exercises and I'm actually back to running. Like I ran a mile and a half yesterday and I feel really good. Yay. So that's awesome. I'm very happy about that. Yes. Shout out to our personal PT, Kaylee. Yes, or shout 18. her out. She's a doctor now. Oh my God, that could be a good thing. Doctor Kaylee, love you. <laughs> Kisses. Yeah. Also, thank you for fixing my leg. Yeah, I'll have to text her. <laughs> literally. Um. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to check out all the pictures we post, all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like some extra content or some community, check out our Patreon Ooh. at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or anything crazy at all, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. God, I killed that. Just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.